Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. I'm Jeff Wagner. And I'm Hunter Ginn. Episode 18 focuses on German band Grabschnitt, whose most active and memorable period sits in that kind of sweet spot of progressive rock, 1972 to roughly 1979. The core of this band formed in the 1960s as a band called The Crew, not the C-R-U-E, uh, as in the short form of Motley Crue. That's hopefully the first and last time you mentioned Motley Crue on this, epi- on this I certainly hope so. podcast. But along with changing times and the kind of speed of music taking them from early rock and pop, they, they went into more experimental waters uh, in the late 60s and early 70s, changed their name to Grabschnitt. It's an odd word, even in the kind of peculiar German language. Uh, the loose translation of that is basically rough cut. Um, so we should probably mention the other 80s uh, LA hair metal band, Rough Cut, at this time. Now, here's something that I, that I did not expect within the first two minutes of a Grobschnitt conversation, which was references to Motley Crue and Rough Cut. That's, but that's Rough Cut with two T's, mind you. I don't think anybody's ever done that before. <laughs> I know there are a lot of podcasts out there on music, but that's probably never been done in any of them. You're welcome. Yeah. Okay. Moving <laughs> on. As everybody runs fleeing. <laughs> yeah, as, as they probably should. <laughs> so this band... Um, in 72, I think it was, put out their first album, a self-titled debut. Really great stuff. We'll talk a little bit about Krautrock, what Krautrock is, and how Grobschnitt kind of fits into that in a bit. But there was a piece on that called Sun Trip, and it was a four-part, 18-minute piece. And it's kind of considered the seed of solar music, but really only in the lengthy duration and the solar theme and the song title. Uh, there are a few musical touchstones there that you can kind of hear, but it's it's kind of a stretch, uh, but it is considered uh, by E-Rock, the drummer of the band himself. Uh, he's noted in interviews that um, their keyboardist at the time, Volker Cars, a.k.a. Mist. Mist. Um, he spearheaded the development of Sun Trip into the earliest versions of solar music. second album was a double album called Ballermann, 
And it gave the world its official introduction to solar music. That was laid out in two parts, totaling almost 33 minutes. One, two, three, four! So it was that little beginning and the many, many minutes that followed that planted the seed. And I mean, that like is like that goes well beyond sort of the kraut rock that we're, the, you know, the, the kraut rock germ that we'll discuss in a little more detail later. Like that is perfectly situated in golden age prog rock. That could be, you know, could be English. It could be Italian. It's just that it's like codified prog rock. Yeah, I, rock was a very amorphous thing early on. It, it you know, it was a, a synthesis of a lot of different styles and things. And then it kind of like it became, you know, a style of its own. And like to me, that is it, like right in that sweet spot. Yeah, for sure. I mean that that last little bit where they kind of start rocking it a little bit. It's that remind always reminded me of Uriah Heep. Sure, sure. English, a, a rocking prog band. Yeah, good stuff. You know, but. It's also kind of cool because this version on Ballerman does stretch out into areas of improv and drift and drone and hip hypnotic sort of elements that did kind of define Krautrock, right? Yeah, and those are also themes that you will see developed over the the morphology of of solar music right. too. You know, it's it's kind of evolutionary journey like is I'm not going to say defined defined by, but it's certainly punctuated by yeah this kind of cosmic drift and meditation and kraut rock i i think is largely defined by its um em its emphasis on repetition on trance you know like with with i mean especially in in, in its evolution and I, I i have to say that i did a deep dive into kraut rock in my late teens and early 20s Mm -hmm. um, I, would, I would recommend anyone who likes music writing to check out Julian Cope's Krautrock Sampler book. I don't know that it's still in print, but I mean, it's available if you're willing to pay the price for it. But it's fascinating reading. But, you know, the uh, way that early Krautrock evolved out of, you know, the late 60s and, and things like, especially like you know, bands like Noy and Can and, and Faust. Craft, I mean, Craftwork's story is especially interesting to me because I'm mm. a huge Craftwork fan um, in their electronic period. But they also began as this sort of repetitious trance rock band. But, um, you know, it was all kind of coming out of psychedelia, you know, in the way that prog was too. But it morphed in a very different way. Whereas prog rock got more ambitious and maybe more bombastic and more technical. Krautrock retreated from all that. And it pared things down to a, you know, a, a, like a, a very, very focused kernel. And so, you, you know, you have uh, like the, uh, the motorique rhythm um, and Noi would basically take it, it, it in some ways. It's almost like um, anticipatory of hip hop where you take this 
one linear idea and then you kind of build things up vertically. You know, it's, you know, you have this one rhythm and then you kind of start adding things on top of it. It's, yeah. it's futuristic music and it's very interesting. Doesn't always pan out for me as a listener, but well worth exploring because maybe it will for you. Why? Uh, and I've experimented with crowd rock too. I mean, almost as much as you, not quite. And I think that you probably have taken to it a little deeper than I did uh, in my delvings. Although I like, I like a lot of German prog bands from the seventies, but they're most of them I wouldn't say are typical crowd. No, you know what I mean? Like I like the ones that sound a little more English. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Eloy and Eloy and Nectar were like Englishmen transplanted in Germany and they kind of had one foot in each sort of scene. Sure. Uh, love them. But yeah. And I love Grobschnitt, but, um, and Grobschnitt also to me has one foot in the kraut rock scene and one foot sort of aiming toward a more symphonic prog sort of thing. Yeah. And I guess yeah, like, yeah, like Novalis and um, Neuschwanstein are pretty much sworn to the English. Yeah. And those are two bands I like too. So, yeah, yeah, um, sure. but the thing, the thing I wanted to ask you sort of as somebody who has delved pretty deeply into that and certainly more than I did, why does kraut rock then, if it focuses and sort of pairs things down to that sort of common denominator, perhaps, right. why is it also considered by a lot of people within the prog world and, and outside of it as something more experimental, right? Because you wouldn't think if it's, if it's being like pair, kind of pared down, right. distilled, that it would be. But it does have that sort of reputation oh. as something a bit more experimental. Why is that? Well, it is experimental. Um, it, it's, it's pared down in terms of structure, in terms of rhythm, but, it, but it's also dialed into things like um, music concrete and contemporary music yeah. and psychedelia so it's it's experimental in a it's experimental in a less obvious way maybe well and um, certainly improvisation anytime improvisation comes into something it sounds experimental right yeah and and two um uh, like can was a very a, kind of a, a, a pioneering band in terms of production um like their production um techniques uh were kind of likened to what Teo Macero did with Miles Davis during his um, early electronic period, where you would, you know, just play for hours and then cut up the session and then uh, edit it into a piece. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it is, it is experimental. It's just not, it, it, I, I would say it's experimental and less compositional. Okay. Yeah. Because experimental doesn't always mean complicated. Right. Well, no, of course not. Exactly. Um, okay, so we're going to play a couple uh, excerpts from Solar Music Live as it sort of evolved and morphed into this larger thing. And we're going to talk a lot more about it as we go on. But let's listen to a couple kind of live moments.
Well, yeah, you know, something I wanted to say earlier, and I just have to say it now, is that I, I hope that people who listen to this show who are mostly into metal or very metal focused, and there's a lot of those. I think we're probably considered more of a metal podcast than anything, although that's not exactly true or never been our intent. I, I hope they stick around for this because that's a piece from solar music that to me has a lot of proto-metal in it. And I hear... Oh, I was just thinking about Judas Priest. I was, I was thinking 70s Judas Priest. I was thinking yeah. 70s Rush. I was even thinking. Yep. Oh yeah, good call. Yeah, good call. I was even thinking a little bit about um, this is going to sound odd and maybe biased towards Kiss, but uh, Paul Stanley's 1978 album has a lot of moods that are exactly like that. This kind of velvety, kind of semi melancholy thing, but it's but it's kind of proto metal as well. It's a little bit dark. I'm telling you, and th- and this was recorded in '78 and, and brought out in 1978. What we heard before from Ballerman, the original studio version, was from '74. Um, so by this time, they had had years, several years, three or four years to morph solar music into what it was. And one of the things that's interesting about solar music is that it always kind of reflected the times and the... Right. It's kind of contoured with the, yeah, with the years. So I think that's why we're hearing maybe a little stained class, maybe a little bit of that 1978 Paul Stanley solo, maybe a little bit of Farewell to Kings. You know what I mean? You know like, what else I heard um, was uh, Blow Q from Spain. Oh, wow. Great call. That's, uh, yeah, they're in the same headspace for sure. Yeah. They're in the same realm. Yep. Uh, Blow Q being B-L-O-Q-U-E. I have two of those albums. I don't know if they even did any more than that. Yeah. I'm not sure. Those are great. They are. They're really good. Yeah. So much to say. I, you know, and this is um, the two tracks we just listened to, uh, the two pieces uh, that we just heard from Solar Music are from the pretty much infamous Solar Music Live album. Uh, this came out in 1978. This sort of, as a live phenomenon, this piece of music and this live show became a bit of a cult favorite for people that knew about it, especially, of course, within Germany. They didn't stray out and play outside of Germany too often. But yeah, it was a big deal then and um, still considered by a lot of people, a lot of aficionados or people at least that know this as one of the greatest live albums ever. I would say that. We got into this thanks to, and we've mentioned this very visit by Wild Heaven Webb's Tom Phillips before, but he came to my house once. I'll retell the tale briefly. Uh, He came to my house once for about two or three days. Uh, We had nothing but time to sit around and listen to music and uh, eat and drink. And and we, we, actually, I don't think he was drinking at that time. So um, we just did our thing. And um, he brought these huge Rubbermaid boxes full of CDs. There must've been at least 500 CDs, if not more. It was ridiculous. And there was just obviously no way we could listen to all of that in one weekend. Did he bring like all the Japanese King Crimson, like, um, like Genesis. Oh, Genesis. Genesis. Yeah. Yeah. He had all the Japanese sort of like mini LP CD things. You know, they look, they represent, they, they mimic the LP and they look, you know, they had the gatefold and everything. They had the texture and all that. Um, and he, and I was pretty much in the middle of my Genesis throws at that time in terms of, Oh yeah. Big time you were really getting deep into them and like them getting as deep into my DNA as they ever could. And, um, so that was amazing. And we were checking out some of that. And, but anyway, he played me Grobschnitt's solar music live. I had no idea what Grobschnitt was. I'd never heard this before. I didn't, had never heard the name. I took one look at the album cover with these kind of costumed, they look like evil welders and (laughs) right. They've got these gloves and masks on and they've got the, these sticks of, of flame and there's like yeah. sparks shooting up and like, and I'm looking through the booklet and, and then on the back, there's that sort of like horned demonic figure right. up a cross on fire. And I'm thinking, 
man, King Diamond just took everything from this. I mean, look at this. <laughs> and so they were very visual by this time, uh, especially with the solar music presentation. The music's very visual, but I remember you calling me shortly thereafter and telling me about some of these discoveries. I believe that he introduced you to Pulsar during that time too, right? Pulsar and Novalis, yes. And Novalis, yeah. Okay, so yeah, and I remember you telling me about this band called Grobschnitt um, and this album called Solar Music. And you were like Gazuntite? Was that? And you were like Gazuntite? It was exactly like that. <laughs> Bless you, Jeff. Right. Um, it, but, but I remember like getting off the phone and sitting there and thinking like, what would a concert called solar music look like? Mm. And it, like, I, so I imagined it and uh, immediately, like the next day I ordered it. I, I don't know. I guess I got it off of eBay or like sound city 2000. I think that was what that place was called. I don't remember. Yeah. And I remember getting it back in the mail and thinking how consistent it was with my own imagining of it. Mm. Um, and, and, and the music itself is very visual. You know, like I, I think the music and the actual costuming and staging are remarkably consistent with each other. And it does. It, and I, I remember thinking that it was in this tiny venue and I, I, it was, I don't know. I, it's, I'm going to ramble and it, it probably not articulate anything very intelligently. But I just remember thinking it was this, this like sort of solar ritual. And, you know, only the people that were there um, were privileged enough to you know, participate in it. Um, but anyway, to me, like, it's just a, an incredibly focused expression of this one idea. Yeah, it, I mean, exactly. I mean, and that's the thing. Um, I want to read a little bit of an interview that was done with E-Rock, the drummer, and probably the most visible member in the sense that he did some solo albums. And he, he's been kind of uh, the documentarian for uh, Grobschnitt over the years. He was the guy that really kind of spearheaded recording all these solar music performances that ended up coming out in 2001 as, as like a series of, you know, other performances from other cities. Uh, solar Music Live was performed in, I think it's from the Mulheim performance mm -hmm. in, in Germany. And um, anyway, uh, E-Rock said in Psychedelic Baby magazine, solar music would go on throughout the whole band's history as the big improvisation where everything was allowed during the second half of the shows, always changing due to the moods of the musicians, the atmosphere of the shows, the changing lineups of the band, and the contemporary musical influence. There was no musical concept behind solar music except that particular D minor theme and except being the ultimate musical playground for each member in the band, the climax of each concert. So I think we can hear that in the snippets that we're listening to. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and listen to another one from the Solar Music Live album. This is simply called Solar Music 3.
let's move away from slow music just for a second because they do have other albums. I know you're familiar with Jumbo. Yep. The one that came out after Baller Man, the third one. So they do have some recommendable stuff beyond just solar music. They weren't, let's say, a one-hit wonder, right? No. Um, but Jumbo is sort of hit or miss. For sure. I was just going to say that, yep. The high points are very high. The artwork is a little off-putting. Um, if, <laughs> what is that? If, if you're not used to like German kitchen whimsy, you, you might be inclined to not pick up Jumbo if you were to find it in a record bin. I don't yeah. know. You look at the cover and you don't know what the hell that's supposed to be. Um, I mean, really, just, like, it, it, I mean, tell me that like if you were just, you know, crate digging and you found that, like, would you buy that? Um, probably, probably yes, because it was, it, it looked weird and it was on brain records. The fact that it's okay, on brain, fair enough, fair enough. Okay. If you didn't know it was on brain, you might like think, is this like some Disney movie that I didn't know about? You know, Jumbo, yeah. Dumbo. I mean like, yeah. and then after that, they put out Rock Pommel's Land and that was, that found them going, going even further into the symphonic UK style prog. It was really the most tightly composed album I think they had done, meticulously arranged quite a contrast to the free flowing sort of borderless solar music. And it even had a Roger Dean type album cover trying to be Roger Dean, but they did some great stuff yet. We always go back to solar music as kind of the peak of this band. And I think this band does that. And I think this band knows it. We're going to play a couple snippets from a different performance from Vorberg in Germany, also in 1978. This is more solar music.
Yeah, and like speaking of influences, that almost reminds me of uh, like late '80s. Uh, sorry, late '70s, early '80s. Uh, Boc. Yeah. Uh, just you know the, the the lyrical quality of the guitar work and just the overall like kind of smoothed out sound about it. Sure, you can hear that maybe as a like an outtake from Extraterrestrial Live or something. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. It also puts me that part and some of the other elements of solar music put me in the headspace of some ne- some of Nectar's longer. Oh, absolutely. Well, another band that kind of had one foot in proto metal and one foot in frog. And really the way this morphs and the way that like, if you, if you've studied solar music from its very beginnings to kind of, you know, the, the, the ending of it in the late seventies, uh, I'm not sure how far they took it into the early eighties, but anyway, you know, it makes me, it puts me in mind of Pink Floyd's Pompeii where they were taking a lot of their more epic material and just stretching the parameters wider. The rules right. weren't, as strict anymore or just kind of developing and morphing that material even further quite, quite often. Anyway, I think of Pompeii when I listen to solar music, I think I do too. And, uh, and Pompeii is a, like another um, instance where the live record is almost as good as anything the band ever did in the studio. Totally. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, Pink Floyd and it's most inspired. Totally. Uh, and, and I'd say the thing, same thing about, you know, Grobschnitt and Solar Live. Like, they really just materialize in this incredible way on that. I mean, for a lot of bands, especially in Prague and metal, bands sort of rest upon their compositional accomplishments. But in, in this instance, there's, you, you have, you know, the compositional integrity there. But the atmosphere and the energy of the live setting kind of supplement it in a, a very magical way um, in like this, you know, like intangible kind of way. And I, I get that both with Pompeii and with solo music. Weirdly, Hunter, I agree with you. That is super weird. I know. It's kind of nuts. Uh, we, we definitely, we've talked about this before. I don't know if we've ever mentioned it sort of on air, so to speak, but um, we're definitely going to do a point counterpoint show at some point to show that we're not always aligned. We don't always agree. <laughs> We don't always and that might be the end of our friendship because we've never had to really deal yeah. much with that. Uh, anyhow, no, you know what? Um, when the Solar Music Live CD came out or the reissue of it, you know, because it, of course, came out on vinyl in 78, it was touted as having the missing 13 minutes previously yes. unreleased. And that was 13 minutes of a part of the Solar Music show that I can never take and I always try to skip through. And... Um, <laughs> That that's that sort of like introducing the guys in the band, kind of cheesy on guitar. Yeah, and they just and they draw it out so long. It's, it's like showtime, bizarre, you know. Yeah. It, it, but I, I guess. But on yeah. CD, you had the luxury of actually missing it. Yeah, you know, I I, I I skip it. I don't have it on any, you know, like I don't, yeah. I didn't dump it into the iTunes. I, well, I, I, I listen, yeah, you know, exactly. in front of the hi-fi. I just don't need that. But but anyway, that was part of it. And that oh, that's fine. You know, that was the live thing. I get that. It also sort of ties into the humor that you'd sometimes find in solar music and, and throughout Grobschnitz discography in general, that peculiar kind of slapstickish German thing. And yeah. It's funny because I've known a lot of Germans. I've worked for a German company for a long, long time. I love them. I love, all, I love most all you Germans. Um, not everyone, but I dislike most Americans. So <laughs> Anyway, uh, it, it's funny because like, they, they are known as a quite serious people 
and a quite analytical people. And I think to some degree that's true. I hate generalizations, but I think that's kind of true. Yet they swing so far the other way with their humor. Like they yes. love slapstick. They love the Peter Sellers movies, you know? Yes. And you hear this in Grobschnitt. And I always find that quite peculiar in terms of like the German sensibility versus their sense of humor. No, there's a, a, a particularly like whimsical quality to a lot of German music and humor. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you get that in Krautrock. I, there's like on, on Faust 4, there's like a reggae song. And it's like, <laughs> that seems completely inappropriate. Right. Uh, in their minds, it's not. Yeah. You know? uh, they can sort of um, reconcile all these competing tendencies. <laughs> yeah, you're it. right. Though. I mean, yeah, I mean, the way that solar music even opens up, it sounds like, you know, a keg party. <laughs> Yeah, they're kind of getting everybody riled up. You know, they're not, they're yeah, taking their time totally. just getting into it. And yeah. then you're just whipped into this like vortex of magical <laughs> psychedelic prog rock. It's like, I did not expect this. It's, it's pretty awesome. And I think at this point, like if, if anybody's turned on and they want to explore, you know, we recommend exploring all that you can about Grobschnitt and solar music. But um, around 2001, uh, E-Rock and the rest of the band generally, um, took it upon themselves to find somebody to release the, uh, the solar music live shows that were recorded back in the seventies, apart from the one that everybody knows. And these came out, I think there are five existing right now came out, uh, in that time. And I've got just one of them and it's got two different performances, uh, of solar music and they're all pretty fascinating and different. We're going to listen to a couple more from the Varberg show and move on.
Gropshnet just kept morphing solar music and, and morphing it more and more. Um, once we hit 1979, it, it took on a really interesting shape. And I am really interesting. I'm probably in the minority of people who think that the Munster 1979 show is the best solar music. I haven't heard, I haven't heard all of them by any stretch, but of the seven or eight versions that I know and I'm familiar with, um, the Munster show is amazing because it's got this kind of dark funk element to it. It's like maybe the most interesting. Yeah, I, I like it. And I, I think the recording's pretty clean. It um, is. It, it's punchy. It, it works really well. We're going to listen to a couple of those and we'll but come it, back. And it, it definitely shows a band that's looking toward the future. Absolutely. See, just a year or two before, they weren't really doing that in solar music. What's really funny is that, for some reason, it reminds me of the Brian Eno, David Byrne record, My Life in the Bush of Ghosts, which mm -hmm. was actually released two years after that. Okay. I don't know if it anticipates it or if those guys were listening to Grobschnitt, but the headspace is similar to me. I would like to think they were listening to Grobschnitt. That would be amazing. I would like to think that, too. <laughs> I love this show so much. I know you do too. Let's listen to a couple more from Munster 79. Uh, this first one we'll play to me has elements of new wave and even rush in it. Let's see if anybody agrees. <laughs> I definitely hear 
the Rush influence there. And it's funny, like on the 78 album, the sort of, you know, iconic live album, I actually hear echoes of uh, Rush, what started on permanent waves, the guitar atmospherics that kind of carried through Grace Under Pressure. Yeah. Those, you know, those kind of misty, atmospheric, um, you know, effects laden Alex Lifeson chords. Things that were kind of floating over the top of everything. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think they were sort of ahead of the time in, in terms of their guitar vocabulary. Yeah, let's listen to one more. Like uh, David Gilmore, um, you know, Circa the Wall on um, the last clip we listened to. to thank you for listening to our humble podcast radical research and sharing our arcane interests we invite you to uh, review us on itunes if you would be so generous to do so we would deeply appreciate that Um, and we hope that you will join us on our next journey episode 19 where we dig into the career of norway's fluidity a chameleon-like band a trait that is shared across the spectrum of many uh, Norwegian black metal bands. 
they began their career as a black metal band and evolved far outside those parameters. Um, Jeff and I celebrate their entire discography, much in the same way that Michael Bolton's entire discography is to be celebrated off as space fans. We implore you to tune in again on the next journey of radical research. Hunter. Yes. Do you hear solar music?